y'all. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 193. Well, right off the bat, I have some news. First, I wanted to say thank y'all everyone who sent all of the amazing sympathy cards. And thank you so much, Randy and Shannon, for sending that amazing necklace that had Bo's picture on it. Colby and I felt the love so freaking much from y'all through the Facebook messages, the cards, literally everything. So thank y'all so very much for supporting us with the loss of Bo. But on a happier note, we actually got another dog. Everybody said, look, get another dog. It helps with the transition. It helps with the healing and all of that. So we tried it. At first, it took me a little bit to warm up to him. His name is Jax, and it's spelled J-A-X. We didn't name him. That's the name he came with. He is an English bulldog, too. But just like Bo, he was a rescue as well. Uh, He came from a home that they just didn't have the time to put into him, and he's only two, so still got some puppy in him, still needs a little more attention, and they just time-wise weren't able to do it, and it was a family friend, and he just kind of fell in our laps. And so we have a new puppy-ish. He's not a puppy puppy. He's like potty trained and all that. So he's like the perfect kind of transition in that he's still got gobs and gobs of energy, but we don't have to do the, oh, let me train you to go outside. Let me tell you to not eat those shoes. You know, there's none of that. He's cute and all, but he sounds like a warthog and Tasmanian devil had a baby and it's Jax. Yeah, his snout is much shorter than Bo's, so his just breathing is loud. Loud. One time I was like, he has a whistler. Yeah. He doesn't snore as loud as Bo did. He does snore, but he just does everything else loud. Everything. His just existence, loud. Yeah, and he got a bobblehead, y'all. He all head. Also, Jax is like a purebred English bulldog, but none of his previous owners had registered him. And so we got to register him. So we got to pick his name. And like I said, he came to us named Jax, but there's like 8 billion Jacks in the world. So we got to like, you know, give him like a full name to identify him separately. And Colby's dad came up with this. We cannot take credit for this. So his name on the registry is Jax the Ripper. I love it. I freaking love it. But we love him. You know, again, it was a bit of a transition for me. I felt like I was like betraying Bo. And it was it was a sad, like I didn't, re- I mean, of course I knew how much I missed Bo, but it really made me miss him hard for a couple of days. And then this dog sits in my lap and, you know, Bo being so huge, he he didn't really, he or he, if he did, it was only like once in a blue moon. You know, so, you know, this dog just kind of forced his way in and we love him. And we're so lucky that my only two dogs that are mine ever are English Bulldogs that I love that literally fell in my lap. They were rehomed to me. Yeah. He's real cute. She'll post some pictures sometime. Yeah, I know. Like, I forget to post my life. My Instagram, lame. Well, mine too. Stuff for the Facebook group. Like, I just forget to be like, oh, here, this is what's going on. By the by, I got it all. You know what I mean? Like, I just Mm -hmm. forget to post that kind of stuff. Well, we know one thing you love to announce. Patreoners! That's right. Thank you so much, Scott D. from North Carolina. Raul G. from New Hampshire. Sarah M. from Mississippi. Ooh! Mary T. from Virginia. Kirsten D. from California. And Shannon M. from Canada. Thank y'all so very much for joining Patreon. Hopefully y'all are enjoying all the bonus content and y'all are just in time. Did y'all catch the uh, Facebook Live that was on Sunday? Because we do one every month when you're part of the Patreon. And there's no telling what will happen. It's a crapshoot, that's for sure. (laughs) But there's always some kind of fucking shenanigans going down. How'd you say that word? Shenanigans. You said it weird. Some kind of fucking shenanigans? You said it weird. Shenanigans. Well, now you're saying it correctly. 
shenanigans. Okay. <laughs> I did it wrong on purpose. Uh-huh. I did right then. Also, just if anyone's keeping tally of our tallies, tally for Donna because Carrie did say Barker in the last episode. Oh, yeah. I totally fucked that up. And you're like, no, I didn't. You said it twice, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she edits now, so she fucking knows. <laughs> <laughs> yes. If you're not in the Patreon and you're not at the level to get bloopers, you might not have heard that Will is leaving the podcast. He's been here, he said, for 400 episodes because he did everything, like the bonus episodes, main episodes, blah, 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 blah. Sinister sightings, all the yeah. things. So a lot of fucking episodes episodes years with us and he has some new endeavors he's going on and we wish him all the best but we will definitely miss him this podcast is going to have a will-sized hole in it but now i'm editing and so i can keep all of carrie shit in fuck (laughs) all right enough of us chit-chatting because i just blabbed on and 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 on okay and on and on okay (laughs) tell us your story well if you demand (laughs) Well, I don't know about y'all, but I love origin stories. And I was Googling around, seeing what I wanted to do, and I found a website called superstitioustimes.com, which sounds amazing. Right up your alley. And it had an article about a woman named Michelle Desrochers. She is the director of Canada's Most Haunted, which is a group of paranormal researchers, and they use both science and mediums to help people who are experiencing unexplained things. She also co-produces a radio show called The Outer Realm. She's a demonologist and is highly regarded in the paranormal field as an investigator and a researcher. And she focuses on malevolent hauntings and attachments. She's been in the field professionally for almost two decades. She's got red hair, like dyed red hair. And I'm telling you this because if you watch paranormal shows, you might have seen her on the shows like A Haunting and Paranormal Survivors as one of the experts. But we're going to talk about what started her down this paranormal path. Picture it, Sudbury, Ontario, 1975. Michelle was a young girl. She loved spending time with her mom and being outside. She's a self-proclaimed tomboy, but she always knew she was different. Her family has a history of being sensitive to spirits. They're very intuitive. When Michelle was around four, she had her first experience. She was at her grandparents' house for Christmas. She went into the living room and saw a man standing there in a black suit. He smiled and she smiled. She didn't feel scared or anything. She remembered being happy when she saw him. Well, she was coming out of the living room and still smiling. And her mom is like, what are you smiling about? Like, what have you gotten into? And she was like, oh, there's a man in the living room. And so her mom was like, okay, well, let's go look at the pictures on the wall. And you tell me what this man looked like. She found the man. It was her grandfather's brother who had just passed away, like a few months earlier. Okay, so her mom had a very different reaction than I would have if I had a kid and they just said they saw a man in the living room. I would have been like, yeah. 
oh, get the fuck out of the house. Her mom's like, okay, well, let's just go peruse and you tell me who you think it is. <laughs> what the fuck? Because she's very intuitive as well and stuff. So it's not just out of the blue. But it wasn't until one afternoon that Michelle would see an entity that wasn't a family member. She was walking down the road and enjoying the outdoors. I don't know what that's like, but you do you. Unless it's from the view of my swimming pool or a beach, <laughs> ocean, whatever that thing's called. Uh, I want no part of it. Yeah, just your pool. Well, she had stopped for a moment and she thought she saw something in the nearby woods. But when she did a double take, nothing was there. But she could sense something wasn't right and kept looking around. And then there in the woods, right at the edge of a tree line, was a boy. But she knew this wasn't anyone who was alive because of how he looked. He was what she knew a ghost looked like. Not completely opaque. You know, he wasn't solid. But he was there and she could see him. And he seemed to see her too. She studied him from afar for a moment and noticed that half of his face was missing and it was bloody. She said it looked like he might have shot himself. Michelle had seen enough and she turned to run for home. And again, this is why I don't go outside and especially in the woods. No, thank you. So Michelle gets home still scared shitless because she doesn't know his intention. What if he followed her home? What if he wanted to hurt her? All the what ifs. She again confided in her mom about what she saw and her mom asked around their town if anyone knew of a person who might have died by suicide or was killed in that particular area, but she didn't come up with anything. But again, I want to say bravo to her mom for believing her and being active in trying to find answers. I swear, I was thinking the same thing. Like, I wouldn't have known where to begin. Same. Another thing Michelle did that I would never do is that she begged her parents to let her move into the basement. And y'all know what I say a basement has. Laundry and demons. And you know what my first thought was? Stairs to get down to it. Oh, God. Well, I'm just going to say that this story proves me right. Proves me. (laughs) (laughs) Michelle was around 13 at the time that she moved into the basement. And I get it. I wouldn't do it, but I get it. It's much bigger than her current room. A little more privacy. Exactly. It's like her private oasis down there away from her parents. And that's what it was for the first little bit. She enjoyed the solitude until one night it became apparent that she was not alone in the basement. There is scratching on the walls. Then soon those sounds turned into more distinct sounds. Three knocks. She said it sounded like an actual person knocking. Hard and solid. And one time she heard the knocking coming from the window and she looked out the window to see if anyone was there and there wasn't anyone visible to her. Why they always got to knock three times? I don't know. There's got to be like something that we're just not smart enough to know with that number. Yeah. And everybody's like, insert eye roll. This is why. Yeah. Well, because, you know, they usually like scratch three times and stuff. Later, she heard footsteps and she thought it was just her mom coming downstairs or something. So she opened the door expecting to see someone there. But in the back of her mind, in her gut, she knew that she wouldn't see anyone there. And she didn't. No one was there. So things like this kept happening. But like I mentioned, Michelle had seen that ghost boy in the woods. So I think she thought if it was something paranormal, she would see something. Like she would see the entity. But she wasn't seeing anything. It was just sounds. So she dismissed the sounds. 
eerie but harmless but then one night she had one of her friends over and they were doing the whole sleepover thing gossiping about boys and out of nowhere the temperature in the room noticeably dropped it was now freezing and both girls felt it and before they could really acknowledge it verbally there was a cold gust of air that shot through the room michelle could feel it on the bottom of her chin the cold breeze it moved her hair on her head, not her, not the way Carrie just looked at me, not that she had chin hair. Because I immediately went, when you said chin, I thought, oh God, her hair. And then you said that and I was like, I need to give her my waxer's name. Both girls, remember, they're 13, are understandably freaked the fuck out. But the weird shit didn't stop there. There were some music records that they had out on the bed, and one flew off the bed. What year was this? 1975. Oh, okay. So actual music records. Yes. Okay, I yeah. didn't know that if you just all of a sudden became an old soul, or if it was <laughs> no. actual records. No, actual records. They were in shock from that record, the actual record, flying off the bed. And they really weren't forming coherent sentences. But then another flew off the bed and another. They were like, bye basement and zoomed out of that room. And I'm not sure if Michelle told her mom or anything about what happened. She might not have wanted to tell her because she didn't want to move from the basement. You know, who knows? That is some fucking kid logic right there, for sure. Mm-hmm. What I do know is that over time, Michelle became withdrawn from her family and her friends. She rarely smiled or engaged in any conversation. It was like all the energy was being drained from her. The basement noises and now physical attacks were definitely impacting Michelle. So she became closed off. How she isolated herself I think that led to her not saying anything either. One day, Michelle arrived at home and went straight to her room. She shut the door, but when she did, she felt like something was behind her. She could feel the energy and that it was strong. But again, she didn't see anything. And this is when it kind of dawned on Michelle that she was dealing with something different. She wasn't seeing an apparition because this thing was never human to begin with. After that day, she constantly felt the energy lurking behind her. She was being stalked and there was nothing she could do to feel safe. She said it was like a game of cat and mouse. The entity would chase her into her room the whole way there, him right on her tail. And it's like she just reached it in time. And when she would shut the door, there'd be a pounding on it, like angry knocking. There was never a moment where she could just breathe easily anymore. She was always on edge. And because of this game, Michelle continued to spiral into a sea of negativity. And that just made the entity that much stronger. She couldn't win. She never felt alone. She said it was always there, always watching and always waiting. Michelle didn't know how to protect herself from this unseen entity, but she did know that she didn't want anyone else to get hurt, and she couldn't have what happened to her friend happen again. But this thing was getting stronger, and the what-ifs crept into Michelle's mind. The records might fly off the bed again, but what if they are targeting someone? So Michelle continued to isolate herself, now completely from her friends and family. She felt so alone, but she thought that was the only way to protect them. The only thing she has as protection was this old Bible that had been given to her from one of her great-grandparents. 
When things would get almost unbearable and she felt like the walls were caving in around her, Michelle would hold on to the Bible and feel comfort. And it wasn't really the Bible itself that would calm her, it's what it represented, a gift from a loved one. The entity continued to stalk and prey upon Michelle, and she didn't think it could get any worse than it had already gotten. But one night around 3 a.m., she was proven wrong. Michelle woke up from her sleep, and at the end of the bed, she saw something like a mist. She, of course, sat up trying to figure out what she was actually seeing, and she noticed that it was eerily quiet in the basement. There was no ambient noise at all. And so she sat there staring at this mist, and that's when she noticed that there was something rising up from the ground. She thought maybe she was wrong and it was another apparition, but when the thing came into view, she knew that she had been right all along and it was something that was never human. In front of her, at the end of her bed, she saw a hideous creature that had scales, fur, and two sets of horns. One set curling backwards and then a set of smaller horns sticking up in the front. It had green glowing eyes and Michelle knew that this was a demonic entity. You had me until the horns. <laughs> I will say, while I was watching My Paranormal Nightmare, that's where I got this personal account from Michelle, and it was on Discovery+. Plus. It's on an episode called Haunted Calling, and it has two other people who are in the paranormal world and their origin stories as well. It's definitely worth the watch, especially if you're nosy like I am. But one of the guys, Jack, I think his name is Jack Kenna, he also saw like a horned entity and he was also young in his early teens. And I'm wondering if what they're seeing is what they perceive a demonic entity to be. So true. Just because both of them around the same age, because when you think of a demon or like, who would a devil be friends with? It's someone with horns and, you know, it's all of these things. Well, Michelle was panicking because the creature started to growl at her and move toward her. She did the only thing she could think to do, grab the Bible. She held it tight to her chest and asked for protection. She said that she tried to draw all of the strength and comfort she had felt from it before, and it worked. The creature was there and then just gone. Michelle said from that night on, she slept with the Bible under her pillow. Meanwhile, she's just a child. Like, no matter what you believe, if it was a demon or not, she's still a child that's terrified. Yeah, and even though Michelle was frightened, and you know she had fear farted more than once, she found the strength she needed to in that moment. And she decided that she would educate herself as much as she could. Because again, it's 1975. She can't just Google demonic entity. Right. And so she spent her time studying about the occult. What she found was that she was the prime age for things to latch onto. And through her research, she learned that the entity was feeding on the negativity. Her self-isolation and all of that. Right. It was creating it and then devouring her through the negativity. The more she thought she was protecting people, the more she was actually harming herself because she felt so isolated and it's so hard to not be negative when you feel that way. And that just rings true for literally everything, not just a fucking demon. Like if you are feeling bad about yourself and self-isolating and all that, it makes it that much harder to pull yourself out of it. 
So what she did, she chose to look for the positive things in her life. She had fought this entity and won that night. And so she used all of that strength to regain control of her life. She started hanging out with friends again, spending time with her family. Her smile had returned. She worked so hard to look only to the light and she really changed her energy to positive. She no longer let the negativity loom over her. And for a long time, it worked. She thought the entity had quit stalking her. She took her experience from the past and all of the knowledge she gained from her research and decided to help people. Like I mentioned, she really focuses on people who are dealing with violent hauntings and demonic infestations because she was going through the infestation cycles. If you think about it, like the noises and everything, because remember Sam Baltrusis, the guy I did like two episodes ago where he had that attachment, he heard the noises and everything. And then he was really negative. He had all the negative self-talk. He wanted to self-harm. Yeah. All of that. And they were like, you are in the deep stage of infestation. It's about to take over. And she didn't know that at the time, but she does now. However, to this day, the entity is still attached to Michelle. Wait, what? Yes. She said that there are times and it's very few and far between, but it will let her know that it's still there. One of those times was when her and a colleague, Wayne, went back to her home that she grew up in. It's still in her family. One of her family members wanted to communicate with her grandfather who has passed. So they went there and Wayne set up all the little seance stuff and they were focusing on communicating with her grandfather. But what came through was this growl that they called on an EVP. Wayne said that when they heard it, every hair on his body stood straight up. He said that he felt very emotional and sad for Michelle for having to deal with that in her teenage years because it literally sounded like a wolf. Like, that growl was predatory. And you can hear it in that show. In her profession, Michelle works with mediums all the time. She said she has countless experiences where they will tell her that they pick up on an attachment and all of them have told her that it has been with her lifetimes. Through this, she found out that the entity is a man and he has a name, but she refuses to ever speak his name. And she said that she will take that as a secret with her to her grave. I was just about to say, and we don't get to know it, do we? No. And oh my God, you know, that is just like, makes me on pins and needles. I want to know so bad. I know. I'm too goddamn nosy for this. (laughs) Me too. Michelle said that she wouldn't change what happened to her because it led her on her path and she's been able to help so many other people who are struggling with paranormal predators. She's able to tell her clients, I have been where you are. I have experienced what you're going through and I'm still here in fighting and will fight for you too. Like I mentioned, her story was on My Paranormal Nightmare and I found out about the show from that article on Michelle on SuperstitiousTimes.com. But I also listened to an episode of the Paranormal Heart podcast that Michelle was a guest on. And so I got a little bit more information through that interview. But 
I'm always curious to know what got them into ghost hunting and everything. Mm-hmm. Because like Zach Bagans, he will be like, when I came face to face with a ghost. But I don't think he's ever talked about his experience. You know, like yeah. that first experience. And I think a lot of people are like that. They don't really talk about the first ones, you know. And so when I saw this, I was like, uh, yes, I want to know. Well, especially like her, if she still has the fucking attachment. Yeah. And I guess because of maybe what it is, is why she can't get rid of it. Or, you know, she keeps it at bay. But I don't know, because they said like it's been with her lifetimes. So if that's the case, she never really got it if she's always had it. So there's literally nothing she could have done, not self-isolate, blah, 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 if she already had it. Well, it wouldn't have been able to feed on her energy and become that powerful. Was it not already that powerful if she's had it for lifetimes? No, I'm thinking that it might reset every lifetime. I don't know that that's how that works. (laughs) I don't know. This is beyond my comprehension. Or unless you're right and it has to find a way to weasel its way back in every single lifetime. I said, if you're right, don't get so excited. Because like, and the thing that's so stupid about this, not like this story, me being stupid, is that like, part of me's like, a horned creature, okay. But then I'm like, please don't attach to me. Right, (laughs) yes. It's like, you're scared enough to be like, don't attach to me. But yet, on the other hand, like the logical side of you is like, fake. Again, I think it's, it kind of manifests into what you are afraid of. Oh, for sure. Well, and if you got to think, if she's like holding onto this Bible, there's probably drawings in that Bible of what the devil looks like. And it's... Did you have drawings in your Bible? Yeah. I mean, precious moments. Oh, Lord. Me too. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I mean, <laughs> yes, but they wouldn't look like that. But there are some Bibles that have drawings, especially kid Bibles. That's like the quintessential demon. Like, oh, I'm the devil. I have horns. Yeah. So you're totally right. If it's a kid's imagination that this thing is taking the form of, then it makes sense that it would look like that. Allegedly. Yours would look like student loans. Oh, one fucking hundred. And you know what? That demon is going to be attached to me this whole goddamn lifetime because I'm never fucking getting rid of them. (laughs) I'm that much in debt with them. Well, no matter what they look like, everyone has their own demons that they're battling. And whether it's this lifetime's demons or a previous lifetime's demons, we all have to deal with them eventually. And this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And if there's something that's interfering with your happiness that's keeping you from achieving all of those goals, BetterHelp is there. Especially around the holiday season when everything is just extra tough and magnified. Yep. Whereas you have the stress of having to coordinate your families together and everything. I don't know. That baffles my mind. But then I have it where my family doesn't celebrate anymore together. So it's lonely without me feeling extra lonely. It's just, you know what I mean? It's just on the day. It's like, oh yeah, it's Thanksgiving or oh yeah, it's Christmas. And you know what? If you wanted help that day, someone would be available. With BetterHelp, you're matched with a therapist within 48 hours and you can log into your account any time and message your therapist. The thing about BetterHelp is it's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy that's done securely online. If you don't want to talk, like Carrie will be like, this could have been a text. You can just text with your therapist. You don't have to do anything vocal. If you want to be like, I'm resting my voice, just text them. But if you're like me and you want to talk and talk and talk and talk, you can do that too. Jesus, thank God I'm not a fucking therapist. (laughs) I would be like, mute. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, Carrie does not work there. But they are looking for more therapists in all 50 states because there have been so many freaking people that have signed up for this. Yeah, over 2 million. Million. That, that was my Dr. Evil impression. Sorry. Yeah. I knew that's where you were going. It wasn't good, but I knew that's where you were going. <laughs> Check out the website. There's tons of testimonials on there of people who have received help from BetterHelp. See what I did there? And like we said, started to deal with their own inner demons or just the hustle and bustle chaos of the fucking holidays. Whatever it is you want to work on, BetterHelp is here to help you. Just in time for the holidays, there's a special offer for all A Paranormal Chicks listeners. You get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P dot com forward slash APC. And who doesn't want money off? (laughs) Donna wants to get off. You want money off. I mean, everybody's, it's a win-win for everybody. It definitely is. Head on over to BetterHelp, like she said, H-E-L-P dot com slash APC for 10% off your first month at BetterHelp. Well, I know origin stories are your favorite, but I have one of your not so favorite stories. Is it a lot of court stuff? No, but it's really old and it's a serial killer. Womp womp. (laughs) (laughs) I don't hate them, but... It's just not your favorite one. It's like so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. Yeah, like it's not Exodus from the Bible. Well, this is actually not that long of a story, but Tanya Rose in the Facebook group is the one who recommended this and I'm here for it. This story reminds me of an episode of like Deadly Women on ID. I'm sure that this person has been on this at some point because it's like so classic that. This story is about Anna Marie Hahn. Anna Marie was born in Germany in 1906 and she was the youngest of 12 children. Growing up as the youngest of 12 children, Anna Marie always felt like she was having to like vie for people's attention and she always wanted more. I don't really know that they grew up poor, but she definitely didn't have everything that she desired. And so she knew that the best way to get that was money. When Anna Marie was 22, she ended up getting pregnant, like unwed pregnant. Now, you got to remember, this is like 1928. So very scandalous. Yeah. After she had her baby named Oscar, her parents sent her away to America, to Cincinnati, Ohio, to be exact, to live with like an aunt and uncle. Because again, very, very scandalous, had to get her out of the area and they started raising her son. Now, according to Anna Marie, she had an affair with a physician and that's how she became pregnant. So she was very specific with the details about him, but there's no like records, no anything that proves that there was a doctor by that name. So we don't actually know who she became pregnant by, although she claims it was this physician. And everything says like she had an affair with him. So I don't know if it was just like a love affair and that they were both single and just had this love, this great love affair that bore a child. Yeah. Or if maybe he was in another relationship, who knows? But she leaves Bavaria and goes to Cincinnati, Ohio, like I said, leaving her son with her parents. While living in Cincinnati, it didn't take Anna Marie long to find another love. She was at this community dance at the Hotel Alms, and she met a guy named Philip Hahn. Now, Philip was a telegraph operator. Stop. they fell in love quickly stop telegraphs always remind me of the sound of music i don't understand why they had to say stop 
after literally everything. Like I get like so it's not a run on sentence, but yeah. when it's it, when it's over, it's over. Why you guys say stop at the end? I don't know. And like, did you get charged for the word stop? Because <laughs> wasn't it like per character? Yeah, but it would just be a period. Oh. God. <laughs> Sometimes I have a bad brain. Well, why didn't they just say space? Like nothing to indicate the end of a sentence. Space and stop. It's the same thing. I know, but like, but like, why you gotta say at the end? <laughs> The end. Stop. <laughs> well, like I said, they fell in love very, very quickly, as it happened in the 20s, and eventually got married. Philip, he didn't really love being a telegraph operator. He was like, stop. I have got to get out of this job. It is not for me. We got to figure something out. So they scrounged every penny that they could save and they were eventually able to open up two different delicatessens Ooh, i feel so fancy saying that word i know it's like not like it's a very common word in other places Mm -hmm. but that is like very shishi to me yeah a delicatessen yeah fuck there's a word that i always it's shishi to me but it's literally like a corner store. A in, bodega? Yes, in New York. Every time I'm like, ooh, but it's not. Well, because here it's like a gas station is those things. Yeah. Like, and they're around every corner. At this point, Anna Marie does go back to Germany to get her son, Oscar. And he comes back to the States to live with her and Philip and, you know, live their best life. That's not confusing at all. Right? Now, I don't know if her parents had been raising him as their child or if he knew, hey, these are grandma and grandpa. I don't know. Yeah. So if he knew this is grandma and grandpa and mom's starting a life in America, she's coming back for me, yeah. it wouldn't be that confusing. Yeah. But I feel like if it was such a taboo thing and they sent her off for it, they wouldn't be like, oh yeah, this is our grandchild to other people. True. While Anna Marie and Philip's marriage started out solid and in love and all the things, it eventually started going south because Anna Marie was obsessed with money and the desire to have more and more and more of it. And you know, Anna Marie, she's doing her thing. She's working in the two stores that they have, but she's like, I'm fucking over this. Like, I just want to be rich. You say her name so fast. It reminds me of Skinnamarinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidinkidin
Ooh. Yeah. And he was like, uh-uh. No, like, just for some reason, he was like, eh, this feels icky. No, let's not do that. And then he got sick. Well, one day, Anna and Philip are fighting, and Oscar is like, oh my God, shut the fuck up. So he turns on the radio and is like trying to turn it up so that he can drown out their fighting. And the radio didn't work. And so Philip was like, well, let me tinker around with this, see what's going on. He opens up the back of the radio, and he finds a bottle of poison. What? And he just kept it, like didn't say anything, kept it, and eventually sent Anna Marie on her fucking merry way. Philip and Anna Marie separated, no longer together, and she's like, woohoo, no more bakery duties, no more, you know, all the things. No more sweeping, no more this. However, she had a gambling problem, and she had to figure out how to make her own money now that she wasn't married anymore, so that she could, one, keep gambling, two, live, and three, cover her debts. So she started to work as a live-in caregiver for elderly men. Oh, no. And the thing is, is that she wasn't a nurse. She had no medical training whatsoever. But she was the ultimate con artist and was able to weasel her way into the homes of, well, who knows how many people. From what I can find, though, they think that it was 10 different murders in five years. Goodness gracious. I don't want to throw shade on old Anna Marie, but her aunt and her uncle also died. And I don't know what those circumstances are, but like, I just felt like a couple of the articles were like, oh, and by the by, her aunt and uncle that she was living with died. You know, it was, it was like, uh-huh. did they, did she get, how did they, was it her? Right. So that's kind of why I'm like, there's really no telling. And especially because she tried to poison Philip. So like, where did it start? Yeah. And was that physician really a person? And did she do, you know, like, who knows? Right, yeah. So the whole thing started with Ernest Koch. Also, though, some places his name is Ernest Kohler. This was an older man with whom she began living as a caregiver, but he wasn't like medically ill. He was just older. So she was like helping out around the house, that kind of thing. And one day in 1933, he just fucking up and died. Like no reason. Again, he had no medical issues. It was just like one day dead. But the weird thing is, is that before he died, he had transferred his house into Anna Marie's name. Oh, oh, oh. There was another man named Albert Parker. This was a guy, he had retired from the railroad. And you know, I mean, not that railroad workers don't make good money now, but you know, back in the fucking day, Mm -hmm. that was where it was at. Hell yeah. So while she was working for Albert Parker, he had loaned her, I think it was like $2,000, something like that. And they had written out an IOU. Well, one day, Albert Parker, just fucking same thing, up and dies and when he dies that iou up and vanished like a fart in the wind oh straight to the fireplace i'm sure it went Uh uh-huh so while she didn't get you know a fucking house out of him she got his money before and then you know any record of her owing him or his estate any money disappeared with it right there was another man named jacob wagner now when jacob died in his estate there was $17,000 that was given to Anna Marie as, quote, his niece. What? Like, who, what, like, this, per- like, again, it's not like she worked with these people for years and years yeah. where it's like, no, she's like a part of the family. Like, right. yeah, w- we, t- we take care of our own kind of thing. Like, this is not a, hey, someone helped you in your golden years. Don't give them any, no, 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 no. She was there for like, 
months and these people would die and then all of a sudden she's in the fucking will as a niece for 17 grand right in 1935 that's a fuck ton of money still today yes i would not i would be like thank you (laughs) say i'll fix the hole in my back porch (laughs) then there was george selman i don't know much about him but i do know that anna marie got fifteen thousand dollars out of him so we're up to minimum thirty four thousand dollars Plus a house. That's wild. There was another George, though. George Heiss. George was with it, and he didn't have any medical issues either. Anna Marie came on as one of his caretakers. Again, what I'm picturing for some of these men, especially given the ones that didn't have medical illnesses, she was more of like a housekeeper, like a living housekeeper. Yeah. So George number two was a little suspicious of Anna Marie. Like he was like, this is something's not right. Like, I think that he had gotten sick one time. She brought him something, all the things. And he's like, something's not right. So he had his spidey senses up on Anna Marie pretty much from the jump. One day, Anna Marie brings him a cup of root beer. And he doesn't drink it right off. But there were some flies in the room. And the flies landed on the root beer. And for some unknown gross reason, he like let the fly take a little sip of it. Ew. Disgusting. Like swat that shit away. Maybe he wasn't planning on drinking it, and so that's why he didn't care. Maybe, but ooh. Yeah. Well, the fly basically, like, flew away and died. Like... Oh, shit. Like, how it... Because it was, like, immediately... Like, I picture, like, a takeoff and a crash landing. Yeah, yeah. The fly fucking died. Damn. And he was like, whoa. (laughs) So, he... Sorry. So George number two kicks Anna Marie out on her ass and is like, get the fuck out. You're trying to poison me. Girl fucking bye. But he doesn't report it to police. Of course not. Just like fucking Philip found some shit out, didn't tell anybody. So off Anna Marie went to find another victim. Then comes George 3.0, the final George, the last victim, George Obendorfer. I hope I said that correctly. Anna Marie, her son Oscar, and George Three Point Obendorfer went on a trip to Colorado. I don't really know why they took this trip to Colorado. I do know that George had some family there, but truly I have no idea why they took this trip. The details once they get there are a little different in some places. Like some says that George died in the hotel room, but most accounts say that George went to the hospital He fell ill, vomiting, all the things. And the doctors at the hospital cannot figure out what is wrong with him. They cannot save him because they don't understand where this is coming from. Like, why is he so sick? When George died, they tell police, like, no, we really need to look into this. Like, something's wrong here. Come to find out, George had been poisoned. So they found out what poison? Yes, he had high amounts of arsenic in his system. Ooh, an oldie but a goodie. This is kind of jumping ahead, but we later find out that arsenic and croton oil are her two poisons of choice. That poisoning is awful. It does the whole thing, like the gastric irritation, vomiting, all that with dizziness. And it's like a horrible death, much like arsenic. So this death that she was 
inflicting on people was not a kind way to do this. Right. Wow. So they do the autopsy. They do the whole thing. They figure out that George 3.0 had died from arsenic poisoning. So the police go to the hotel where he was staying because they realize that there had been a police report filed by George before his death that some jewels and stuff had been stolen from his hotel room, like diamonds and such. So they're like, are these related? Like this man files a police report that shit, like thousands of dollars worth of jewels had been stolen from his room. Now he's dead of fucking arsenic poisoning. Like are these related? So they go to the hotel and they see that he had signed in with a woman by the name of Anna Marie Hahn. So now they have her name. She's on the, like, who is she list. They start looking at pawn shops in the area to see, okay, someone stole these jewels. Did someone try to pawn them? And they go to this one pawn shop and the owner says, yeah, actually a woman and a young boy came in trying to pawn some diamonds, kind of like what you've mentioned. So now they're like, okay. Now, remember I said that George had some family in the area. Now, they said that, like, they kind of knew who Anna Marie was because George was having a relationship with her. I don't really know how true that is, and I, I didn't really see that other than one YouTube documentary that I listened to about it because everything else, like, that doesn't fit her MO. Like, everything else, she's with these older men as a caregiver, not as... A lover. Well, she could be both. Right. But it's like, it just doesn't fit every other. I mean, sh- the girl's got a pattern. She's done oh, this, yeah, you know, for sure. once or nine times before. Well, maybe George 3.0 was too, like, hip to what she was doing. And so she had to go at it a different way. Maybe. To gain his trust. Maybe. Or he came on to her and she couldn't piss him off. So she needed to stay there until she could poison him. Yeah. Whatever. Because obviously it's all about the end result for her, which is more money. Right. Now, there's a couple of different variations of this story. One said that she had a $5,000 check from him that she like got away with as like a paycheck. One thing said that she had gone to a bank to cash a check from him and they were like, no, this is an out-of-state check and you aren't him. We're not fucking doing this. They refused to cash it. Yeah. And shit went down. Either way, she's leaving behind a trail of evidence. By the time she and Oscar get back to Cincinnati, the Cincinnati police know what's up and are ready to bring her in for questioning. When they interview her, at first, Anna Marie is like, I don't know who George is. Never met him. Don't know what you're talking about. See, you can't lie about that because you know they have some type of evidence. Right. If they're coming to talk to you about someone who died in another fucking state, Mm -hmm. they have something connecting you. Yeah. So you can't get away with your lies after this. If you're like, oh, yeah, don't know him. Oh, yeah, he did sign in with me on that. But I didn't know that was, you know, like you, you can't backtrack out of that. Right. And that's what the police said. They're like, you're fucking lying because here's the hotel receipts. We fucking have receipts, literally. And here's where you signed in. And she was like, oh, that George. Okay, so actually, okay, we both left, happened to leave Cincinnati at the same time on the train together. And we happened to be going to the same vacation spot. Oh my God, can Uh you believe that? We hit it off on the train. And since we were going to the same place, we decided that we would just share a room together. No one does that. Literally not. That is not your fucking meet cute. Don't even try. No. (laughs) So the police were like, "Uh uh-huh. Okay, so 
tell me about the part where he ended up dead. And she denies it, denies it, denies it, denies fucking everything. They have an arrest warrant, so they were able to go to her house and search it. And the police said that she, quote, had enough poison to kill half of Cincinnati. I mean, she buys in bulk. I mean, the girl has a Sam's Club or a Costco (laughs) membership. She denied it all the way through her trial, and it took the jury less than three hours to find her guilty. And I thought it was interesting. The jury was 11 women and one man. What? Now, I think if she had said, he abused me, he treated me badly, he did all of this, and that's why that was my only resource to do, and I had to get out of there, it would have been a different story. Yeah, but she couldn't do that Uh because at this point, police had started exhuming bodies and they knew that all of these other men that she had encountered had also died by poisoning yeah so there was no even if she wanted to do that Mm -hmm. which can i just say when people lie about abuse yes you negate everything that actual no you don't negate it i shouldn't say that but you diminish the belief in other people who are actual victims yes. because you lied about abuse and then it becomes a he said she said they said whomever said and it's like it makes people less likely to believe the actual victims because mm-hmm. of people like you who fucking lie yeah i know this is not the same thing but i have that when people lie about migraines because i actually have migraines and when people are like oh i can't come i have a migraine and you don't actually have a fucking migraine that makes me so mad because i'm like people aren't going to believe me when i have to cancel on something because i actually have a migraine right it's like the small peas version compared and it pisses me off so fucking bad well it's all things that are hard to prove you can't feel my pain i can't feel your pain as it relates to like an illness yeah and so if it is a he said she said kind of battle because you can't always file police reports or you know things like that if you don't have the proof it is just who's telling the truth who do you believe right you know and so it's already so hard For people to come forward, it's an uphill battle for them to get someone to listen to them because of that, like you said. And even today, people who confess to rape will get no jail time. So it's like that just makes people not come forward that much more. So when you have people who lie about it, like that is the biggest fuck you on the planet. I know. This this doesn't even pertain to the story. Sorry. We got off on such a thing. I just said it would have been different. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Had she done that. Only because women know what women are capable of. So we are judgmental in that stuff but we're also very empathetic mm-hmm. and stuff so like if she could play to their emotions uh-huh, then they would be more it, like a, yeah well this jury gave zero fucks about her because they again found her guilty with no recommendation for mercy oh shit so because they found her guilty with no recommendation of mercy that means that she's automatically sentenced to death so that means that she would be the first woman ever killed by the death penalty in Ohio. Oh, whoa. Yeah. So her attorneys did the best they could. I mean, took it all the way to the fucking Supreme Court fighting this. And because she was maintaining her innocence, like, until the very fucking end. And on December 7th of 1938, she was executed 
in the electric chair. And again, she was the first woman. Now, in the final hours before she was executed, she ended up writing out a full confession and giving it to her attorneys. And she said, sell this and take care of Oscar. And that's what the attorneys did. They sold the letters to the Cincinnati Enquirer under the provisions that the money be wired into a trust fund for her son, Oscar. And that's exactly what happened. So Oscar went into a foster family and ended up after he graduated high school and all serving in the Navy in the Second World War and had a little bit of a trust fund from his mom's confession letters that were sold to the Cincinnati Enquirer. Dang. She was the ultimate con artist yeah. where she was like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I'm about to die. Cool. Let me just write this out real quick. Sell this so that Oscar's good. Wow. So there wasn't a lot of like bulk to this story as like murdery, even though a t- like seriously they think like 10 people died and it was only a five-year span but it became so much bigger again the first woman to die and then i just think it's i hate to say cool but that ending is like like the worst possible way to get money but but here's the thing like somebody's going to pay for a story for a picture for a whatever oh yeah at least she did right by her son and be like yeah you know what sell it but make sure he gets the fucking money and good on those attorneys for holding up their end of the bargain they probably were scared she would haunt them well because they could have been like oh you couldn't pay us which she probably could because the girl had a house and how much money but you know they could have been like oh well you're not paying us for our services well we'll take this as our right retainer or you know whatever right. not a retainer because you know she dead now but what's that what is she retaining them for but you know what i mean like yeah. oh let's let's we're gonna pay your balances with this money It's so interesting to see how people who don't give someone else's life a second thought of, you know, like, oh, okay, I'll just kill him, get his money. They can still love other people, Mm -hmm. you know, because I honestly thought her son better be lucky she didn't get life insurance on him. So true. But she obviously never thought about that and wanted him to have a good life and, you know, all of that. But it's like, she didn't care about her first husband. She didn't care, you know, anything about anyone but her and Oscar. Yeah. So her nicknames were Arsenic Anna and the Blonde Borges. I'm not sure what that means. That's what I don't understand about stuff like this, because I did see another, like Murderpedia said that the number could be as high as like 13. Like one article said that she killed 13 people. And so it's like when you're doing it, especially like all in the same area, like you're doing it in basically like a German suburb of Cincinnati. Like, how do you think that people aren't going to pick up like she's the care? It's not like she's a fucking hospice caregiver, you know, where that's what she's there is end of life care. She's a caregiver for these men who have no medical ailments. Yeah. And then poof, stomach issues and they die. Right. Like that's like classic poisoning. Yeah. I still don't understand how your story, like, she's just, like, running around with an attachment. I'm not sure. Like, can't somebody get rid of that for her? Apparently, it's been with her lifetimes. So, maybe it just goes dormant. That makes my stomach hurt. (laughs) Everything makes your stomach hurt. I got anxiety. Well, my girl helps people. Your girl helps people meet the Grim Reaper in a terrible way. Right. The most painful stomach issues it wasn't like she was an angel of mercy well but even then a lot of times i feel like angels of mercy will eventually just start killing everybody like not someone who's on their deathbed and they're just right you know like a human euthanasia it eventually becomes not that right and they just are 
killing everybody. But even then, I feel like for the most part, they do it in a peaceful way. Like, yeah, hey, let me give you a little extra medicine. Right. This lady's giving them fucking arsenic and whatever the other one was. That oil. Croton. Croton. Mm-hmm. Well, I know I don't want any part of either of those stories. No. No, 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 no. Thank y'all so much for listening. Hopefully, y'all had a good Thanksgiving here in America. Maybe got to enjoy some days off. Maybe got some good Black Friday deals. Thank y'all so much for listening. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.